Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Your Health Minute brought to you by Aqua Omega. And we're pretty excited to be kicking off season two with Dr. Sophie Polo McLeod. And today we're going to be talking about when shit hits the fan and, and specifically around your microbiome. Um, you know, it's a topic we talk about a lot, gut health and the importance of gut health in overall health. Um, but today we're going to get a better understanding of what's actually happening in our guts and the different things that we're doing and lifestyle choices that we're making that can potentially have an impact on our gut health and also our overall health. So welcome uh, welcome back to the show, Sophie. We're really excited to have you here and, and, and really excited to talk about this topic as we get into fall season and people start to kind of hibernate a little bit more and turn to those comfort foods to deal with the changing weather, um, maybe, you know, like seasonal depression, things like that. You know, people generally turn to these these types of foods. Um, so I'm really excited to dive into this and, and uh, maybe start off by, by reintroducing yourself to our listeners. Um, and then we can dive into like the basic understanding of, of a microbiome. Okay, yeah, for sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Sophie. I'm a naturopathic doctor practicing out of Ottawa. Um, I'm currently at NutriChem Compounding Pharmacy and Clinic, so that's where you can find me. Uh, my clinical practice and focus is definitely um, gut health-centered, but in a way that's a little bit different. So I like to work with athletes, people who are very active, people who are looking to lose weight or improve metabolic disease. Uh, my approach is a little bit different than what you might kind of find in the fitness industry. Um, I'm also a sports nutritionist as well. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Um, but I did want to talk about this topic because as kind of time progresses in the microbiome and this kind of buzzword is getting more and more popular, I still see a lot of confusion with my patients in terms of they, 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 I'm like, okay, so I'm starting to talk about the microbiome and they're like, yeah, what is that? I've been seeing it on things. I've been seeing it on face creams. I've been seeing it on, you know, granola bars, you know, all these sorts of things. And I think I'm doing the right things, but I'm really confused, right? Um, so if it's all right with you guys, I'll do like a quick kind of summary of kind of how I explain the microbiome to my patients or an educational series or talks. Um, so essentially, when we look at when we think about the microbiome, it's we think about it as actually as a whole organ on its own in the body, right? And this is something that it's so much more difficult to understand, because, you know, when we learn anatomy and physiology and you know when we're reading textbooks when we're growing up we can you know we see the heart we see the lungs we can identify the parts the microbiome we can't see we can't envision it it's so difficult for us as humans to actually understand this part of our body but it's there it's present but it's just at a microscopic level that we cannot physically see right so essentially if we look at it if we think about it as this huge organ and the body it has a a massive function, okay? And as an organ, it's composed of trillions and trillions of bacteria, viruses, protozoa, fungi, um, that are essentially very important for our body and our body's function, right? Um, it starts as a, an external barrier on our skin. It's in our oral mucosa. It's in our, um, mainly in our colon. It's in our vaginal canals, right? It's all over the body. So it's not just centered in the gut. Um, we, it's mainly in the gut, but, and that's what we're going to be focusing on, but it is important for everyone to understand that it's not just there. It's everywhere in our body. Um, and I'll kind of go a little bit more into details in terms of the 
function. But I'd want to hear from you guys in terms of what are some of the common questions you have regarding uh, understanding what the microbiome is and, and what you kind of see when you're talking to, you know, friends and colleagues about this. I think people just in general, it's, it's like, I think right away, people think microbiome, they think digestive health, like how well am I breaking down processing foods, uh, maybe how I'm handling stress or how I'm sleeping. Uh, we talk about it often around inflammation and autoimmune health. Um, you know, that that's mostly what I, I see and I hear, but no one's really talking about, you know, what sh signs that, you know, obviously there's some very obvious signs that you have some issues with microbiome and you can see that in bowel movements, things like that. But like, what are, what are signs or typical signs that people may be not aware of, Mark? I mean, that, that's, I think that's, or inflammation, you know, gut health, bloating, things like that. Those are the types of things that I hear a lot about or food sensitivities, things like that. Like, oh, I'm not processing foods, gluten issues, things like that. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I hear a lot about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's kind of a, a main thing, right? That first line is that like, okay, my bowel movements are super irregular. I'm super gassy. I'm super bloated all the time. I feel like there's something kind of like pushing up on my chest. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, but then there's also things like, you know, joint pain, that joint inflammation, skin eruptions and eczema and other kind of skin disorders that are kind of still persistent, a uh, brain fog, right? A lot of mental health and mood disorders are connected to disruptions with the microbiome. And it's so amazing because there's this, it's just the research is just booming like crazy because, and you know, if you type in microbiome and depression, you know, we'll see a lot of type studies, you know, if you type in microbiome and, you know, metabolic disease, there's more coming out. So that's why I always mention that because the, the research is still kind of st still in its kind of earlier phases, but it's just expanding so much. And so when I talk about or explain, you know, the microbiome and how you might understand it in terms of an analogy, um, and this was actually this is kind of an excerpt taken from uh, my father's book that he wrote on the microbiome, the biology of the brain, this one here. Um, and, and, and the analogy that he used in his book was that, you know, if you envision a uh, a rainforest, right? A rainforest or this big, huge forest. Okay. So when you're walking in, you know, envision yourself walking into this nature and, and you see trees, shrubs, um, you know, ground leaves, everything like that. Like the things that you envision is, you know, there's diversity, there's diversity in the ecosystem there, right? It's not just one type of, or one species, right? So when we look at the microbiome, when we look at someone who has is having issues with their microbiome, a lot of it stems from having a disrupted species or diversity. Okay, so if you think I think about, you know, any movie or something where you see just plows going right through the rainforest and just destroying everything, right, just really, really damaging everything. And I'm just picturing some of those forest fires we had this summer. It was just crazy, you know, like some forest of those fires. Yeah. Exactly. You feel like that inflammation, that burning, like there's just oh, so much going on. Everything, all that diversity and all that nice plush green is just getting destroyed. And essentially, that's kind of what happens with through kind of the standard American diet, um, you know, high fat, high sugars, processed foods, alcohol, um, smoking, all of those sorts of things, and then throw in um, medications and antibiotics and other drugs that really, really impact the microbiome alcohol, as well. Yeah alcohol, uh, all of those kind of substances and, and, you know, things that are impacting your microbiome. And we lose that diversity. We lose that nice, beautiful, you know, plush forest that we, that we want to have um, within our gut. And um, 
that's a that's a challenge, right? And that's when we start to see some of those symptoms that we just talked about coming up, right? Those digestive issues and the skin eruptions and the joint and the brain, you know, the brain fog and all that, that kind of all starts to come up once we, our microbiome kind of goes up in flames, like you said. I, I just a couple things came to mind while you were talking there. And I'm like, I'm thinking instantly, the gut brain connection, you were talking about brain fog and things like that. And everybody talks about like, listen to your gut. It's like your second brain, right? So there's like a, we're not, there's not a ton of research on it, but there's definitely a connection. You can feel that connection between your gut and your brain. And, and I think the other analogy you said is like, I think where there's smoke, there's fire is, is what I was thinking. So like, maybe talk about the gut brain connection, but also like the symptoms that you see. So what's the smoke like telling you that there's a fire going on? Yeah, absolutely. And and the gut brain axis is actually very well supported in research, right? So mm -hmm. I'll touch a little bit on that and kind of what what that means if we there's it's actually a bi-directional highway between our gut and our brain. Um, and the main communication pathway is actually our vagus nerve. So when I when I the easiest way to get someone to relate to this is, you know, a lot of people that, you know, have anxiety ridden diarrhea or they're going to an exam or an interview and they're like, "Oh my gosh, my they feel it in their stomach, all those sorts of things, right? That's, you know, that's literally, or, or you know, stress is one of the biggest triggers for, you know, IBS or IBD, right? That's, those aren't, that's, that's our brain, right? That's our perception of stress and our perception that's kind of directly communicating um, with our, with our gut, right? That's through our, also through our HP access, cortisol, our neurotransmitters, um, all of these other kind of our neuropeptides, things like that, that are all communicating. So it's like, that's like those butterflies, right? Like, you, you know, like exactly. I, I remember that feeling like, like you're going to going to play like a big hockey game or a big match or something, anything, or like you're going to give a big presentation or speech and you're just like, oh man, I got the butterflies and that's, so that's the stress. It's your brain talking to your gut. Exactly, exactly. You know, and, and you every have to understand that our brain and our gut are so communicated in that way. Just think about the fact that, you know, our how our stomach, you know, can produce those neuro, those peptides that tell our brain that I'm full, right? Like, that's how mm -hmm. we communicate, right? Like, there's, there is that communication that is, you know, that's very prevalent there, right? And that's why we see, right, and, and often in, you know, uh, mainstream um, kind of that traditional way, you know, of, of treating someone that has anxiety or depression is to direct right towards the brain, like an SNRI or SSRI, right? That's directly reuptaking that's occurring in the, in the brain, right? So targeting the brain, but when actually, if we can actually target the, the gut and calm some of that smoke down and things like that, we can really improve someone's mental health, that aspect too. So healthy, healthy gut, healthier brain. Exactly. Yeah. That's, cool. yeah. that's that's kind of one thing that I've witnessed in my experience is that people just kind of blanket throw probiotics on it. <laughs> I was going to go there. I, took a note right? Mark. I was actually going to say, uh, I was like, I was saving that actually. I was going to say like, go through the smoke, there's fire. And then I was going to say like, what's your, what's your opinion on probiotics, you know, or, or prebiotics or like, cause you were mentioning this entire diversity, but most of the time when we're talking about probiotics, there's very specific strains. There's like three to five strains that they're talking about, you know, in the 50 billion CFU or 10 billion, whatever. How effective is that? What's your actual opinion on that? Like, and when should you use that? Is it for yeah. everybody or, you know, what, when should you turn to probiotics? Yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to touch on this, but I think what's important first to go into and what the, what the listeners really need to understand is that 
the microbiome is so different from any other kind of, you know, um, health conditioner or whatnot, because it is so, so individual based on their entire life time. Okay. And this is what makes the microbiome more difficult to study and what it's the majority is animal studies. And I will get to the probiotics, but I do want to say, so if I'm talking about Umax in particular, right. And compared to me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in the city, maybe Max grew up in, you know, on, in a rural place where he was outdoors. Okay. Exactly. So that's going to impact your microbiome. Perhaps, um, you know, one of us was born a vaginal versus a C-section birth that directly impacts our microbiome. Perhaps Max was a child that had a bunch of ear infections as a child and had to do had to do many courses of antibiotics. That's going to impact his microbiome, right? And then perhaps, you know, later in life, he went to university and maybe he, you know, drank a lot for four years and has now he's 25 and he has <laughs> his microbiome has been through a lot of disruptions. Okay. Yeah. So if we're looking at the treatment versus you versus me, um, probiotics are probably not going to cut it for you because of the, if we look at the course of your lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not just about how you're presenting here today, not how you're just walking into my office and saying, I have this, it's how your what your entire lifespan was, because that's impacting your microbiome, right? And that's how, you know, a lot of the research has that has come down to it. So if you came into my office with this full history and lots of disruptions, and maybe your immune system was dysregulated, and you're having all these issues, you know, probiotics would not be the first step, right? Um, we definitely would do a lot more of those dietary factors first. So if we think about um, that, going back to that ecosystem or that, you know, that forest, right, perhaps we have this kind of overgrowth of this one massive, you know, shrub or, you know, whatever tree that's kind of taking over everything. It's crowding over the forest. It's not letting anything else Kind of thrive essentially okay so uh we have to kind of work to actually uh reduce that and so that's actually kind of through like either an antimicrobial sort of protocol for other uh, you know if you have excess growth of yeast or any bacteria or you know parasites things like that we kind of have to like get that get rid of that first um then in that in combination with the the dietary stuff right making sure you're not having lots of sugar inflammatory foods and you know avoiding dairy. alcohol yeah dairy like excess gluten all those sorts of things right um we have to kind of work on that first right because if you throw a probiotic in there it's not going to be enough to kind of just take over that and then we also use resistant starches as well so resistant starches as a prebiotic or rs2 we use a really great one here um, called Solnol. And um, it's an RS2, which is basically, we're basically feeding, right? We weren't, we're that, if we picture that big, you know, scary tree or whatever that's taking over the whole forest, right? What we're doing before throwing in a prebiotic is we're allowing some of the other bacteria, we're kind of allowing it to, the other bacteria to flourish and thrive so we can start to create more of that diversity, right? That is pushing for that, that probiotic, right? That That's pushing for that, let's increase the diversity we can maybe once things start to calm down, maybe throw in a probiotic there. I also use a lot of kind of gut healing, um, other ingredients, right? Uh, we'd use an omega-3 to calm down some of that inflammation. And we can talk talk about that specifically and how it's affected the microbiome. And then also, you know, a, a glutamine, marshmallow, glyceriza, those sorts of compounds that are actually really healing for the, the lining of the gut as well. 
So it's definitely, you know, it's definitely this um, stretch thing that it's just probiotics for your gut. And it's absolutely not. Um, you have to kind of do a full protocol to kind of reset. But the good thing is, and this is what's been studying the research too, is that your microbiome is extremely resilient. It is very responsive to changes that you make within your diet. You can see changes within 24 hours of the microbiota. If you're just start cleaning up your diet, if you're just starting having more high fiber foods, right? Eating really well, you know, water, getting in your omega threes. Um, so it's very resilient, uh, just like a forest would be in terms of just grow starting to grow back again. And, um, you know, getting back to that diversity. So just a quick, like, does everybody, like an ideal microbiome, would it be the same for everybody or is it very individualized? Like, like if everybody, if you could have, like for me, you're talking about me, perfect microbiome, is mine the same as yours or Mark's or will it be very individualized to like our lifestyles or activity levels? You know, like, uh, I guess the different foods that we, we, we kind of consume um, or even the areas or the climate that we live in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we see different we see different microbiota around the world, depending on what people are consuming and what people are eating. Right. And yeah, ultimately, we do have that. We want a better profile of that good bacteria. And a lot of the research when they're when we look at like, um, <laughs> excuse me, when we look at someone who has, you know, metabolic disease or something, we see a higher prevalence of the not so good bacteria versus in lean individuals, they have higher prevalence of bifidobacteria and those sorts of species. So there, there's not an ideal, and it's so different, difficult to actually quantify that. Um, but essentially, we know what we kind of want to shift things more towards and what are kind of the ben more beneficial bacteria we want to have more of that helps with digestion and things like that. Yeah. Does it change with the seasons? Because I'm just thinking, like, or, or is it should it be pretty consistent year-round? That's an interesting one. I haven't done any research on if it's seasonal. Um, I probably does shift with, you know, different, you know, foods that people are consuming at different times, like you said, during the fall, or a lot of the times once we get into the fall, and people start consuming more of those soups and things like that versus the summertime, it's more of those raw salads. And yeah, I was just thinking that like, like beans, that. roots, very like leafy greens versus yeah. like, you know, you know, like just the way we're, we're kind of designed as humans, you know, like at winter times, like lots of like, meats, proteins, marrows, things like that, or like leafy yeah. greens, or in the fall, we're consuming things to kind of like, um, yeah. you know, high, high sucrose, that like to fatten up kind of thing for the winter. So I'm wondering if if it's it's a very seasonal thing that should be changing, you know, yeah, we're adapt, we're, we're adaptive, right? So we adapt with our climate with the weather, everything else. So I'm wondering if our microbiome does the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I haven't done specific research on seasons, but I do know that the microbiome is fluctuating every day daily, right? It's it's responding to its environment, right? It's responding to stressors. It's responding to, you know, the food that you're consuming, right? It's responding to whatever you're intaking, you know, supplement wise into your body, right? It's, it's responding to all of those things. Um, and when we look at, you know, different dietary strategies and things like that, right? So we want to someone has a really disrupted microbiome and they're really struggling to digest foods and it's all right. We want to make sure those, this is a great time to be incorporating lots of those like really hearty cooked soups, right? It makes it so much easier for our body to digest and break that down versus really um, kind of raw foods that cause a lot of are higher in that, those FODMAPs causing a lot of that gas in the, in the colon. Mm -hmm. um, so 
Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting. Because you're not able to to fully break down the foods. Properly. It's harder to if, and especially if someone has a disrupted microbiome, that they have a really hard time breaking down those um, high FODMAP foods, those raw foods, things like that. Um, and some people are, you know, under the impression that if they're having it, it's raw, it has, you know, better properties. And essentially, yes, of course, how we cook our foods impacts, you know, the the quantity of nutrients in it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's better for you. Um, if you're struggling with your, if you're struggling with your digestion. Now, are there certain considerations vegetarians and vegans should take when trying to, you know, approach an optimal microbiome? Yeah, there, there definitely is research to support that vegetarians and vegans have high, uh, different profiles than someone who's consuming meat in terms of their microbiome. And normally it's actually a more beneficial kind of profile in terms of the, the components they have because they're having a lot more high fiber foods, a lot more plants, a lot more proteins, um, plant proteins, things like that, that they're getting that is actually very beneficial to um, the microbiome. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You talked about metabolic, metabolic health a little bit. And like, I think, you know, especially like, I mean, it's pretty, pretty big talk because especially after COVID, a lot of people felt isolated, stayed at home or not, didn't have access to gyms. So there's a lot, a lot of weight gain and people just right away, you know, think about losing weight. So I'm going to go to the gym. I'm just going to bust my ass every single day. Um, but it sounds like they should really, you know, and that's how I'm going to lose weight. You know, diet kind of takes a back seat or maybe it doesn't, I don't know, or maybe there's not, not enough diversity in the diet. And so, but it sounds to me like what you're saying is like not having a healthy microbiome could have a significant impact on your overall ability to lose weight or even like with hormonal balance or, or potentially some insulin resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the way that I like to discuss this topic, because I do have kind of a, a clinical focus in weight loss and metabolic syndrome and disease is a lot of people are like, well, I just want to lose weight. Like, I just want to lose mm -hmm. weight. You know, why do why are we doing this kind of gut protocol, things like that? And, and the way that I explain it, you know, if you think about, um, and there's just so much research now to support, you know, um, those that were exposed to, you know, heavy use of antibiotics as a child, um, have higher risk of having an increased BMI later in life. You know, if we think about the practices of, you know, what we, we do in terms of um, a lot, all of the antibiotics used in our cattle for our meat and things like that, they're using the, the, the disruptions in the, in the gut microbiome cause the, you know, weight so gain. So you're saying even if we're well. not taking, even if we're not taking drugs, we're still being exposed to these drugs indirectly through the, the our sources of food. Yeah, essentially through that and, and just through, mostly through the own, their own ingestion. But um, I'll just explain kind of a lot of the research that is done on this in particular. So right, like I said, previously, and how you know, when I compared you and I, Max, in terms of our microbiome, and how different it is, that's why they have to use a lot of animal studies, because it has to be so controlled to understand because the microbiome fluctuates so much from individual to individual. Okay. So what they do and when they're looking at, you know, the effect of metabolic disease or, or a, a disrupted microbiome on weight gain or metabolic syndrome, essentially what they do is they take two, you know, they take two mice, they have one mouse that's um, injected with antibiotics or, or penicillin and then one that's not. And then they take the, uh, they do a fecal transplant of that microbiota from one of either of these into another mouse. Okay, so a fecal transplant is essentially taking that microbiome from one animal to another and seeing what happens. Okay, so the mouse that was exposed to antibiotics early in life 
when they transferred it to another mouse, that mouse gained weight. There was no other changes. That mouse gained weight. The mouse that was not exposed, that was given the transplant of a, of a non-antibiotic treated mouse did not gain weight. So automatically we see that was the only kind of change was just the disruption of the microbiota, right? And so now we're seeing that with more actual human studies. Um, there's a study that I just read the other day that was in regards to um, the drug risperidone, which is an antipsychotic commonly used in kids, bipolar disease, autism. Um, and we know that the main side effect of antipsychotics is weight gain. Right. So we see, you know, people I think you just like, hear that so much. Like one of the biggest, you know, you hear it a lot of drugs. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to take this drug. I think it makes me gain so much weight, you know, so it yeah. just makes sense that you're saying that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So with this, you know, with this antipsychotic that people use, which I absolutely agree if you, you need to use an antipsychotic. But what's interesting is that they they the study was basically saying that it wasn't it wasn't just the drug that was causing the, the weight gain. It was actually the impact that the drug was having on the microbiome that was causing the weight gain, okay? So that was like, kind of like a, whoa, like, okay, like this is actually having a huge impact, right? And so when you look a little bit deeper or a little bit further into how the microbiome is actually, like what what is it doing? What is it, like, how is it causing this, you know, weight gain? You know, why is it resulting in, you know, higher BMI, right? Things like that. And, and as they kind of look at people throughout their lifetime, well, your microbiome or the bacteria in your gut actually control how much energy, energy or the caloric intake that your that your body actually in, like consumes. So if you're eating, so if one person, let's say, I'll use Mark, who's also in this. So if Mark is eating a piece of pizza and I have the exact same piece of pizza, okay, but Mark has a really good gut microbiome. He's lean. Um, maybe I'm a little bit more on the um, you know, have a dysbiosis in my gut, we eat the same piece of pizza, maybe Mark will, you know, consume, you know, 200 of those calories, I will maintain 300 of those calories. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? So the actual yep. energy that you're harvesting from your food is actually higher when you have that disrupted microbiota. So it actually impacts the calories. Why would it be higher? Like, why did, why would your, is it because your body's trying to store some energy to, for, to repair the gut? Like what's, what's the theory? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's the disruptions in the certain bacteria that want to harvest more of that energy. And also this is someone that most likely is already maybe a little bit overweight. Their body knows that it needs more of that energy. So it makes it more challenging for them to lose weight because their body is already maintaining or making sure that it, it that it's still consuming all these calories i know that's a bit of a you know a challenging no so it sounds like it's just i'm just thinking like this plays a key because you hear these people all the time that are like man you can eat anything and you'll never gain weight so they just must have a, a great microbiome metabolism, or metabolism yeah. like, right this plays a key role in metabolism the microbiome it does obviously yeah, plays a key because role in metabolism. exactly a lean individual right they're not harvesting as much of those calories as someone who is already overweight. So that's why if we want to work on helping someone to lose weight, we got to kind of work with their gut as well. So that, you know, all the work that they're doing, I can hear a lot of times, a lot of people who are really not even eating that much that are really exercising so much, and they're just still struggling to lose that weight, right. And, and so um, there's a couple Isn't other that an issue too, sometimes, though, like under eating, like you can actually just just if you're not eating enough or feeding your body properly, then you can actually gain weight instead, instead of like eating an appropriate amount and you'll actually start to, to shed the weight. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of the the paradigm of if someone is un, like really under consuming their calories, their body is really going to hold on to whatever weight they they have, right? That goes back to the the kind of you know the the way that our body wants to just survive, right? We don't, mm-hmm. we don't want to have a lean body type. We want to make sure we have fat stores. We want to make sure we're able to kind of have enough energy to reproduce. That's the whole goal of, you know, our body's you know physiology. So it, we hold on to that weight a lot more um, than if we were kind of consuming a bit more of those calories. Yeah. And that's why also the weight gain back, it happens really quickly because your body's just kind of really grabbing onto all that energy once you start increasing your calories. Yeah. Um, with the, with the kind of chat that I, that I mentioned in terms of like, it's not just the energy harvest that impacts the microbiome's ability and someone's ability to lose weight. It's not just that, right. The microbiome affects, you know, our inflammatory markers, it affects our hormones. Um, it affects, you know, just so many different factors that are also impacting how our body is functioning. So it's, it's not just that. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but, um, you know, we think about how our, our microbiome does have a huge impact on that energy harvest, right? Just how much calories our body actually utilizes to break down food, right? People think of people when they think about weight loss, they think about, um, you know, energy in and energy out as simply exercises, or that is the only way that our body expends energy. No, our body Mm -hmm. expends energy by actually digesting the food as well, right? That's just our, our body, whatever, if you're sitting here right now, your body is actually expending energy just to digest food, right? Our, our, um, our microbiome can account for as much as 16% of our basal metabolic rate, right? So we don't actually, when we look at weight loss or our metabolism, we don't think about, oh, our, my microbiome is actually contributing to, you know, my me- metabolism, all those sorts of things. We kind of neglect it. But if we can kind of incorporate that into kind of our weight loss, weight loss strategies and things like that, it can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very powerful. It sounds, it sounds like, I mean, to me, it's like, it's, it would be a pretty complicated issue to tackle on your own. Right. So what's, what's like things to look for? Like, cause I'm assuming everybody, like you mentioned earlier, you have regular bowel movements, your energy's okay. Your immune system's okay. But like, what are some of the symptoms or some of the signs you should be looking for, for like an unhealthy microbiome? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it, it really varies from person to person, right? Like you said, if it's not the digestive issues, it could be the skin issues. It could be kind of the mental aspect. It could be hormone disruptions, right? Especially, um, you know, with uh, women or, or, people or women who are experiencing lots of like PMS symptoms, a lot of things like that. Like if they're not actually excreting and like metabolizing a lot of those hormones, if they're more constipated on that side, I just say, Hey, listen, we're just going to start with getting your bowel movements regular and seeing how that impacts your hormones. Right. Cause that has a huge influence on their hormones too. Um, but it would be really overwhelming. Right. Cause there's like, they're bombarded totally. with all this information and then they're probably like, well, I'll just go buy a probiotic and I'm fine. Right. Right. That's that's exactly what I'm thinking. And you're or you're turning to Dr. Google and it's everywhere. Is everybody's trying to sell you a probiotic or something to try to, exactly, to try to say, yeah. oh, this is what you need. The 50 billion CFU. Nobody even knows what that means. It's just assume like, wow, that must be good. It's got the most amount of probiotics. <laughs> I, I should be taking this. Right. Yeah. And it really sounds like it's it's a much more complicated issue than that, because if you already have a lot of those bacteria in your gut, 
maybe you're you're actually compounding the problem instead of actually helping the issue. So how how do you how do like let's say you're you're analyzing me like what would be the first step to say like okay let's see if you have a healthy microbiome yeah so i mean first thing we would do is kind of like the whole gut protocol that i chatted about in terms of right that that diet stuff is going to come first making sure you're not mm -hmm. consuming anything super aggravating and we're kind of do the whole protocol with the the resistant starch any other specific i do use you know specific probiotics for certain protocols but it's what are, what are the most aggravating what are the most aggravating foods you can think of off the top of your head? Like if you're talking and you're, we're having a consult, like what am I saying that yeah. you're going like, oh man, that's bad. Yeah. I mean, I would probably say like, it would be a lot of that sugar and alcohol are probably going to be the number one. Um, dairy obviously can be super inflammatory, gluten okay. and, and those sorts of grains. If someone's constantly consuming them and they're like, and because I see it a lot, they're like, I know, they're like, I know it doesn't sit well, but I still eat it, right? That's just like that constant that push on that, on that microbiome. And then, you know, the plant proteins, which are really, really amazing, can be aggravating for some people. So they're like, oh, I'm just gonna eat Talking all about these pea proteins and things like that. Yeah, pea protein, chickpeas, lentils, all these amazing things, but they're like super bloated all the time, right? Because it, they're higher in those FODMAPs and their body isn't able to digest them properly, right? So there's there's that and then let's say you know we do a protocol things are still a little bit iffy right that's when we can kind of be like okay there's potentially something more something deeper going on so we need to either do a gi map right where we're actually you bring in a stool sample and we actually that whole your whole stool gets you know mapped for the different bacteria parasites everything like that um h pylori chronic h pylori um SIBO we do a breath test for that like those are all kind of things that we're like okay like if it's not eradicated this is kind of a chronic issue there's really something deeper that's going on right it's not often a quick fix and I think that's probably another reason why people come in they're like I'm I got rid of gluten I got rid of dairy and you know I'm really good with my diet but I'm still really you know struggling right we have to do a, a little bit of a deeper dive basically do you find there's an issue with sugars because companies hide sugar in like everything so like people think they're going sugar free but they're not yeah no absolutely i mean we i see this a lot with um like smart sweets or whatever they're called like yeah. the the, mm. the the sugars that are basically they're it's just right if you look at the actual like chemical structure it's just a little bit different it doesn't just it just is it's another all right but it just doesn't say mm -hmm. sugar on the ingredients so mm -hmm. people I, I find a lot of my patients are like i'm just eating these smart sweets all the time or i'm like really addicted to these kind of more like healthy versions of like sweets or these like like natural like chocolate bars or whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're marketed towards and there's dark, definitely... dark chocolate's okay though right dark chocolate's great uh, yeah. absolutely I love that. Great. <laughs> but like those, those like gummies and stuff like that i'm like if just if you're gonna just just buy a gummy bear if you're gonna do that like i mean like it's i understand that you know so smart sweets aren't good aren't good for you no i'm just saying that it's exactly like your question like it's like where are they hide where are they hiding all this sugar right like, people think that they're not or they see because they see no zero sugar things like that like that's sorbitol things of, like that like all these different types of like yeah exactly sugars. and actually the xylitols and stuff are really gas warming in the gut um, okay so that can cause a lot of disruptions on its own right and what's interesting as well is you know 
research is preliminary, but on just kind of how our gut microbiome actually communicates with our brain and our appetite, right? So we see, you know, if you're having, right, someone who has those uh, more of those yeasts and things like that, they they crave sugars, right? Their body is craving a yeah. lot of those sugars to kind of feed some of that bacteria. I crave, salt. I crave salt. Salt is what I crave. <laughs> like it's, seriously, I don't know. Salt's my thing. Like, I don't know if, if that's an issue, but I, I, I just like salty foods. I don't, maybe it's the European in me. I just like salty foods. Yeah, but a lot of the times, right, some of those disruptions that are microbiota can actually affect our endocrine system, which actually like yeah. affects our appetite, right? So, mm. you know, this is all very, you know, interesting kind of surface level stuff right now. And I always kind of ever say everything with a grain of salt, like I said, because, you know, there's only so much we can take from those animal studies that are very, very controlled. Um, mm -hmm. But it's just really awesome to see kind of how much research is out there in terms of how the microbiome can impact so much when it comes to weight loss, weight gain, right? Seeing how different drugs are affecting our microbiota and how it affects someone's ability to lose weight and um, definitely see it a lot in practice. So you know, it's, it's something that definitely would, um, definitely needs to be addressed first. Yeah. So, so I was thinking like the, just the gut and you're talking about like alcohol and yeast and all this kind of stuff. And the, there's like a traditional acupuncturist I go see here in, in town. And she always looks at my tongue every time I go in to check out how, how <laughs> healthy my digestion is, you know? And she'll like take mm -hmm. a look. It's just, it's amazing. Sometimes she'll give me these like herbal teas or whatever, but for the most part, it's, it's good now. But uh, yeah, she'll be like, oh, there's an overgrowth of back. You could just see it on the tongue. Is that something that you look at as well? I don't use a lot of traditional Chinese medicine in my practice particularly. Okay. Um, but it is something, right? I think, you know, TCM has a huge place in medicine. Acupuncture has a huge place in medicine. And a lot of the herbs they use are very, very effective. You just need to go to someone like your acupuncturist that does that, right? They do that. They've seen hundreds of thousands of tongues um so i don't yeah, sometimes um, i don't even understand like she's amazing yeah. like she's like like traditional like trained in china in like yeah. real trade and like i don't even she's just like, like we communicate but she's just like oh it's bad like it's bad bad and bad and she give me these yeah. teas and it, it tastes like mud but god it works like you know it's so good absolutely yeah i mean yeah. i actually when i went to i went to beijing in 2019 and I went to a traditional Chinese medicine hospital there. And it's so interesting, you know, you know, bring you bring this up, right? That's where people go if they're sick. Um, and so they get the herbs, they get the acupuncture, right? That's their kind of first line of of treating themselves, right? It's just very, very different. And here people would be like, What? You know, you're you're it's going almost to preventative, right? Like that's what I think about this. Like I'm thinking about my gut health, I'm thinking about all these these health issues you're talking about that can come up. And it's like you should be taking care of this to prevent issues that you could be dealing with. And that's when, when I would talk to them and she would explain to me traditional Chinese medicine in the sense was like everybody had like a, a, a doctor and the doctor would keep his job as long as you stayed healthy. If they got sick, that that's when they weren't doing their job anymore. Uh, that it, so it's all prevent. It's all preventative. And I think that's mm -hmm. amazing because we're, we're as a society, we're super reactive. Right. It's like you get an issue, you get like I can remember talking to somebody that's like they hadn't had like a solid bowel movement in like five years. I'm like, yo, you got to Like, that's a problem. You know, like mm -hmm. you got to get that checked out. That's there's some bigger issues that are going on there. Yeah. But until like Absolutely. but until like something major happens, you know, yeah. where they get diagnosed with like a, a, like some kind of disease, they won't take a look at that to prevent. That. It's like we're really re oh, shit, I'm sick now. 
I got to take yeah. care. I got to take care of this now. Where it's like you can prevent that if you take care of some pretty basic stuff right now. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I that's. I mean, that's the whole idea of naturopathic medicine is essentially. Right. And I'm seeing that a lot more actually in practices. People are like, yeah, like my health is pretty good, but what more can I do? Like. How can I, you know, and and that's what I do in my, you know, practice here at Nutricom is everyone that comes for an initial visit, most, the majority of the time, they come in with, um, you know, five pages of blood work that we do here in the clinic, right? So we're, we're screening for everything. We're screening their cholesterol, their thyroid, their all their hormones are in the panel, their vitamin D, their B12, their iron, their blood sugar regulation, their zinc, like everything is on this test. And so in our initial visit, we'll go over you know everything that you know all their health concerns and then we'll go over their blood work and say let's do this we're going to work on this 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 that's off um you know and just right off the bat so it just takes away that guessing as well right so um definitely very you know using using blood work to just tell us what's happening inside the body because someone comes in and says oh my you know i've got all this brain fog and low iron and, and you know history of low iron and all this and like and then you're probably thinking, oh, she probably has, or they probably have, you know, low iron. We look at their blood work, their iron's fine. It's something else, right? So we can't mm -hmm. make a lot of these assumptions that are kind of happening. We need to use, you know, we need to use actual blood work. We need to look into the body and see what's happening. And that's, that's where people cannot do these things on their own. Like you said, they cannot use Google. They cannot go online because they don't have anything that's actually telling them what's happening inside their body. But I really, really love and I really support their, um, you know, the, the ability for them to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm not satisfied with my care. I want to go out and, you know, I want to go out and learn more. So I'm going to do some of my own research. And I absolutely respect that. But what I want the listeners to know is that, you know, there's, there's tests that you can do. There's blood tests that you can do that will help you, um, you know, just kind of shorten the journey a little bit and make sure that, you know, your, the treatments that you're trying are a little bit more directed towards what you're actually dealing with laser focus and like very specific right because like if you like you you're just i'm thinking you're you're talking about this and people that have like iron they think they have an iron deficiency because they have low energy but their iron's fine but they're taking like a, a ton of iron supplements yeah they can actually do themselves some harm by doing that oh yeah so, absolutely yeah absolutely so it's really interesting to to mm -hmm. it's, it's always best to kind of turn to the experts but i think like this the entire pandemic and you know that the health concerns that have come out and people being more aware of the underlying health issues um i think there's been a a shift in in people's interests where they're, they're all of a sudden more interested in okay like i i really need to take charge of my health and i need to find ways or natural ways to do this even like even not to to, to get controversial but like even the the topic of the vaccines and stuff like that where people are against it they're for it they're this, like there's there's a lot of things you can do to protect yourself but also a lot of things you can do to protect yourself against potential side effects of the vaccine and i think people are becoming a lot more aware of these things and a lot more interested in these things yeah absolutely and and i wanted to touch on this too just because we're you know wrapping up this you know conversation on the microbiome is that people are more comfortable talking about their bowel movements i'm i'm saying all this you you started off by being like shit hit the fan right like it's just because we just gotta work on mark mark's still still not comfortable <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm comfortable ta i'm comfortable talking about it right like more people some people are still like uncomfortable talking about it and you still see a lot of that but you know in general people are like oh like what's going on like things are off like you know like i'm like you know this is not okay versus in the past, I think that was something that a lot of people 
suffered with for a very long time um, because they didn't want to talk about it. They didn't want to tell their doctor that they, you know, weren't able to go to the bathroom for five days at a time or, or they were, you know, seeing weird things in their stool or whatever it was. Um, it was uncomfortable to talk about, right? And now we're at this point where we're like, F that, I'm, we know how much it's related to your health. We know how much of an impact it can have on your health. Let's talk about it. Let's have a discussion about it. And let's get you, you know, let's get you feeling better, essentially. It's, it's funny. I, I almost joke about that where it's like, you know, you're a lot younger. It's funny, but now like poop and stuff is funny. But now it's like interesting. It's like, oh, what does that mean? Like, what, do <laughs> to, what do we need to be looking for? Like, you know, there's because yeah. so, you can tell so much from that, from like your overall health, that it becomes like it, it becomes really interesting to, to talk about. And I remember like one time, actually, I, I just I don't process um candy or gelatin well and if i have any of that like th those types of candies it, it'll block me up like it's crazy and i have to have a high fiber diet to make sure i'm regular and all this kind of stuff so i had an issue and i actually i thought it was my appendix because my back felt like it was going to blow out and then they did an x-ray and they told me i was full of shit and <laughs> literally so you know so 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 it was pretty funny but i had a conversation with with uh, the the er doctor about it and she was telling me that in North America, we have significantly more cases of colon cancer because people just don't eat enough fiber. And so what we think is regular is not regular at all. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, you know, so obviously since then, like I have a lot of chia um, and a lot of uh, a lot of additional fiber in my diet to make sure I'm regular. But when she told me how much fiber I should be consuming you know people think they're getting fiber from a piece of toast or a bait like it and it's not you're not getting nearly enough fiber that you need and those fibers are coming from like you know those those really hearty like you know yeah. vegetables and oh, broccoli uh, things like that like you're just not getting what you need and, and it's causing issues and people aren't aware of it because it's not talked about or normalized enough absolutely oh the fiber thing it's a whole other monster topic but absolutely i mean fiber is so under consumed in north america no one is actually reaching their fiber target ever and the challenge is too these companies are really marketing their products as you know having extra fiber added fiber a lot of people have it in their like their cereal or whatever it is it says it's extra i mean ultimately you got to get your fiber from your fruits and vegetables right that's really what it's kind of coming from mm -hmm. um and like i said before we use kind of resistant starch and prebiotic sort of fiber potato starch and those types of fiber the challenge is right with the metamucils and a lot of other fibers you can buy off the um, you can buy off the shelves right if someone has a disrupted microbiome and you're throwing more fiber in they're going to mm -hmm. bloat they're going right. to be really not happy and it's going to make things worse what about, right so what about psyllium husk how does that fall in? Yeah, psyllium husk is a good fiber. It really is osmotic, so it really pulls a lot of water into mm -hmm. the colon. Um, so it can it can be pretty powerful. But once again, it comes back to right using the right fibers, right using the right fibers to help specific to you know to to that person. I don't put a fiber in right away. Usually, we we'll use like a the the prebiotic first to kind of build up that microbiota, and then we can get in the fiber. But I mean, fiber, like you said, you know, not only with colon cancer, cardiovascular disease, right? Like it's very much related. So 
Yeah, she was talking specifically about like African cultures that eat tons of like healthy fibers and stuff. And it's like mm -hmm. colon cancer is like almost non-existent there. And I was like, I, yeah, you know, I was a little, I'm a bit of a cynic. So I look it up right away and kind of get into it. And I was like, yeah, look at that. Like it's, it's, it's basically non-existent there. It's very much a, a, a disease that we would have created via through, through diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. We're only seeing that compounded with, you know, the, propensity towards protein, protein, high protein, high protein, carnivore diet, ketogenic mm -hmm. diet, all these, you know, these, the emphasis on protein and reducing carbs and vilifying gluten and all these sorts of things. I feel mm -hmm. like it's just pushing people even further away from consuming not just the soluble fiber, but all the insoluble fibers as well, especially yeah. the insoluble fibers. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And you got to get that, you got to get those fruits and vegetables in and it's, just keeps pushing towards that, you know, Mediterranean style diet, like that's, you know, more of that, you know, lots of plant proteins, all those amazing things. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the, with the research on the microbiome, bringing it back to kind of what the topic we kind of focused on in terms of how it affects someone's weight and things like that. It's, there's any study that's a twin study that tells us a lot, right. Mm -hmm. And it tells us a lot in terms of our, our metabolism and our weight very much almost 30% is our genetics, right? So, right, that you you said, oh, someone's more lean than another, right? We have a huge, there's a huge genetic component, but there is a huge component from what is being passed down from generations to generations and families, right? That really impacts our, our like, you know, risk factors of metabolic disease and things like that. Um, and it's just, it's definitely, people are becoming more aware of it, but there's still a lot of misinformation out there um, which kind of clouds things um, and clouds people from getting the help that they need. Um, and, you know, it takes them a lot longer to, to get the results or to, to start to feel better because they're really, really searching and not finding the right answers. That's great. I mean, I don't want to kind of, I feel like we could talk about this all day long, but I, I Mark, you were, when you were talking, I, I just had a, like an idea for like a segue, maybe even into like a part two discussion of something like this, but like, uh, Sophie, I don't know what you think about like Mark was talking about the carnivore diet, the keto diet. Like, how much how much more important is it to, to get a healthy microbiome versus focusing on a very specific diet like that? Because I think people like like again, you're thinking about weight loss. It's like I'm just going keto. I heard so many people are going keto. I'm going mm -hmm. keto, but maybe you're compounding an issue because you're not addressing that like underlining issue that is the microbiome. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And someone who is already predisposed to having more kind of those inflammatory disorders or, or whatever should like if they're having high amounts of, you know, cheeses and meats and bacons and fats and stuff like that, that's not really going to be beneficial for their microbiome at all, because they're not really feeding in any but it's essentially it's going to just shift it towards the not so good bacteria that we don't want to have mm -hmm. in the gut, right? Essentially, it's just making that shift, um, which will essentially make it harder for them to lose weight more in the long term yeah yeah that'd be a great topic to talk about because i think that's what people people just assume you know i'm going to pick a very specific diet like we said mark carnivore vegan vegetarian uh keto whatever and then they just kind of harp on that and and because they're so committed to that diet so maybe they're ignoring some of the bloating or some of the digestive issues they're getting on that because they just they just trying to push through or even like a raw diet like you mentioned before the eating raw vegetables things like that not everybody's designed to be able to break those those down 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I will say, because I did want to touch on the omega-3s, because I know, obviously, that's a huge, huge part here, is that <laughs> so some of the research that they've done on the microbiota and obesity, in particular in mice, they when they fed the mice that were um, basically exposed to high doses of antibiotics and having a higher risk of having a higher BMI later in life, the ones that were also treated with omega-3s had a more protected microbiome. Right. So it actually also helps to modulate a lot of that inflammation in the gut. So if you're looking for a place to start before you even get like into the dietary stuff or whatever, even just start with an omega three um, to, to help a little bit with to, to modulate that gut microbiome. So it's a good place to start as well. Before, make sure if you don't a, know anything. Make sure, and make sure it's in a triglyceride form so that those those uh, those uh, yeah, the irritated. Yeah, the ethylesters aren't irritating your your stomach lining. So, yes important yeah that's yeah, that's great added. that's a great info that's that's great i mean I, I read about that as well and obviously tackling the inflammation but also dha acting as a prebiotic and helping to feed those healthy gut those gut bacteria um always really important in gut health i mean we, we have a joke around here but like what what's omega-3 not good for you know like it's mm -hmm. it's it's good for just about everything um but yeah thanks so much for touching on that thank you very much for being on the show um, I hope that we can set up a part two because I think it would be really fun to do the, I think I just lost an ear, but it'd be really fun to touch on the, the diet versus microbiome. And, and um, maybe before you get, are you do, taking any virtual appointments or is it everything in person now for you? I'm uh, I know you mentioned you're totally virtual, but I, yeah, I do in person. I, yeah. I know you mentioned where, where uh, you're working, but how, how can our listeners find you and reach out to you? Cause I'm sure there's going to be some people that are going to be, you know, it's going to hit home and be like, wow, like maybe it's not, my diet, maybe it's my microbiome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Sophie PM. Um, they can, if they Google NutriChem, they can find me online through that or www.drsophiepm.com. Um, you can reach out to me through those kind of channels, book a virtual appointment. I take anyone who is um, in Ontario. Um, so I can see you if you live, you know, Toronto, you know, Kitchener, wherever you are. Um, so we can make it work virtually and I do some in-person appointments in Ottawa as well. That's great. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. This was an awesome topic. Uh, I look forward to diving into it, into it some more, uh, on, on a future show. Sounds great. Thank you. Good. That was interesting.